Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Carm Huntress. He's the founder and chief innovation officer at RX Review, and he's not actually a pharmacist, but he's got a degree in electrical engineering and has kind of applied IT to pharmacy. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Huntress. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, the pleasure's all mine because what you do is something that is kind of seems obvious in pharmacy, but really hasn't happened a whole lot. So I invited you on the podcast to really discuss kind of real-time prescription benefit mandates. What is this and what has happened so far in this this field of real-time prescription benefits? Yeah, it's it probably makes sense a little bit. And I totally agree with you. And I still get asked, you know, why hasn't this been done? Or, or you know, it's 2021. We, we should probably get this this done in terms of bringing transparency, especially to the point of care. But we probably should do a little history lesson, which is that pharmacy transparency in terms of letting either a provider or a patient know what they're going to pay for a prescription drug has really been relegated to static data for the last 20 years where payers or PBMs would publish, you know, the cost of their drugs and they would periodically update that. But by the time it got to a patient or a provider, it was pretty much out of date which led to a lot of mistrust. And then probably about eight years ago now, the payers and PBMs started to come together and work around the standard called real-time benefit uh, or real-time pharmacy benefit, RTPB. And essentially uh, what this means is is real-time pharmacy benefit information. So which means a provider um, in real-time Uh, can say, hey, I want to order this drug. And then behind the scenes, what we do as a company is we actually take that data uh, in terms of the patient information and what payer and PBM uh, they're uh, working with and the drug information. And then obviously what the provider's ordering, uh, you know, in terms of the dose and duration of of the therapy. And then really the the, the preferred pharmacy for that patient uh, we we take all that, do some translation and mapping, and send that off to a PBM to actually in real time get the pricing. So that what what that patient's going to pay at their preferred pharmacy that day is it covered or not covered? Is there a prior authorization required? And uh, most importantly, are there less expensive options for the patient? You know, are there therapeutic alternatives or other fulfillment channels that may be less expensive for the patient, like mail order? Uh, and then the provider gets to see that all in their electronic health record right alongside their order. And then they can simply hit sign and route that uh, prescription to the pharmacy. Um, but really, you know, this is all about getting that real-time cost transparency to the point of care so providers can kind of make the most cost-effective and really convenient choice for, for a patient. Gotcha. So is the kind of overall goal of this is to obviously streamline the whole process from the provider to the pharmacy to the patient. Are you seeing less prior authorizations because of this, because they're able to see that earlier? Yeah. uh, You know, percentage point drops in prior authorizations where, you know, many times there'll be a covered drug that doesn't have a prior authorization uh, on a particular plan. Now, a, a provider might not know that. Um, and so they just go to what they know and they pick a drug that has a prior authorization. Um, we obviously bring it back and say, wait a minute, this is a prior auth. Here's a non-prior auth option that's, that's a you know, therapeutic, therapeutic equivalent drug 
and they can just switch to that medication in real time. You know, that accounts for a lot of the switches we have. That's one of the highest level switches we have because providers know how much of a pain this is. <laughs> yeah. You know, that ultimately leads to the pharmacy faxing back, you know, typically information to the provider in their office. And now, you know, if you, the statistics are pretty scary about per doctor, there's about 20, 20 hours per week tied to dealing with prior authorizations related <laughs> to pharmacy now. Um, so it's a big problem in terms of inefficiencies and we're really trying to help providers. Hey, let's, let's stop that. You know, let's, let's look at alternatives and kind of rationalize the right choice up front, opposed to having that downstream, uh, waste where, you know, the, the pharmacy's faxing back, um, prior authorization forms. Yeah. Never mind on the pharmacy and how many times do we send a fax or a prior authorization and we get back, they just sign it and put refills on it. And you're like, no, that's we sent you a prior off, not a refill request. <laughs> and so just yeah. streamlining those issues is a, a huge waste on our time too. But I get why they might just do it if they're, you know, they think, oh yeah, I sent that off. And like, it didn't go through, here you go. But hey, one thing with this is what kind of drives, I guess, the algorithm? Is it the drug class itself or is it like a diagnosis code or is it some combination of that? You know, it, it really depends on the payer and PBM and, how they're really trying to align the formulary design um, and benefit, you know, to that particular drug that, you know, they want to price. So in terms, they'll look at, is there a lower class drug in the same class? Is there a therapeutic alternative? Is there a better fulfillment channel? Those are a lot of the things that they do around sort of cost optimization. I think we're still in the very early innings of this. You know, most of the stuff is sort of very simplistic, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one-to-one -one kind of relationships. Our hope as a, as a company and where honestly we want to go is much more sophisticated things. A good example of this, which we started to do a little bit of, is sort of geolocation searching. So, you know, we would look at the patient's zip code, for instance, or what facility they're in, and then explore the pharmacies around them and try to sort of look, oh, what, what's the best pharmacy and best uh, cost option? Because some of the payers and PBMs you know, have preferred uh, pharmacies where they have better pricing and better rates with. So there's lots of really interesting, you know, opportunities to really take an algorithmic approach here. You know, we've been under the challenge for the last few years, at least just scaling up this data. I mean, you yeah. know, we, we've gone from a few thousand to a few hundred thousand doctors. And what the industry needs is just getting to scale. You know, we're, we're doing millions and millions of these transactions a month, but it's nowhere near really the complete you know, uh, volume of prescription drugs in the U.S., which there's about six and a half billion drugs prescribed each year, 4.3 billion picked up. Or picked up. Uh, and so, you know, we're not even to sort of scale. We're, we're on the tip of a very large iceberg in terms of, you know, the number of transactions that really should be being done here across the entire healthcare ecosystem. You know, that's interesting, too. As you said, there's six billion prescribed and only 4.3 billion picked up, which means you've got ballpark 25% that aren't picked up or, you know, used by the patient at all. And if you can cut that back or close that gap right there, you have a lot more people who can be treated for whatever it is that they needed. Or, you know, maybe there was just something that didn't need to be prescribed. Either way, you're cutting out inefficiency in the market by doing that. Is that kind of one of your goals too that you've done with this? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, if you look at the the, mark, the macroeconomic challenges here, you, you've got that statistic, right, where you have, you know, and, and we kind of all know this, about 25 to 30% is abandonment today where people don't pick it up. And a lot of that, you know, that can do, you know, the reasons for that are convenience, right? It, it just, you know, I don't have the time. 
patience, whatever it may be. Um, but second to that is cost, right? We're, we're having a massive affordability issue in the U S and this is driving a lot of the regulations, you know, both Trump and Biden had this as a a major goal of theirs to rein in drug pricing. And we've got to fix it. I think the other challenge too, is that, you know, when we look at the total costs and the cost of non-adherence, the cost of other things, you're looking at a $400 billion market where you have, you know, easily it's going to 500 billion where 150 billion to 200 billion of that is waste um of of over prescribing or uh misprescribing or prescribing and the patient fulfills but then isn't adherent you know these are really major systemic problems that we need to rationalize and and you know we think really leading with transparency is the first major step forward in that because once you have transparency you can start to measure right you can start to say yeah okay we know what this costs now what's the what's the quality of it what's the outcome you know what 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 is what really are the benefits the patients are getting or not and and then how do we think about value and so we really think this is the beginning of the end game to get you know drugs to a value-based model um we're still years away from that um, but transparency is is a key thing in getting us there yeah i think every pharmacist would say that we need a good level of transparency uh, applied to healthcare in general, not just pharmacy, but uh, healthcare in general for sure. And you know, with something like this, usually as the government leads, the markets tend to go or follow. Is this something you're seeing happening where the government's really kind of pushing this? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really interesting to see the evolution from a from sort of a, a government perspective and some of the things that CMS uh, has been doing. What's so interesting historically about this is there was a real time benefit standard that was actually around as far back as 2006. Um, But there really wasn't momentum around it from the industry to do this. We were in a different era of healthcare, I think, in so many ways. And co-pays were were a lot less expensive. It wasn't until 2010 where we started to see greater than 5% and, and, you know, in many cases for certain drugs, many more than that in terms of percentage growth year over year. It It was beating inflation by leaps and bounds in terms of overall drug costs. And so that's where attention started to be brought. And then the NCPDP, which is the main governing body in terms of IT standards with pharmacy IT, started to bring back the standard and develop it. There were some pilots done in kind of the 2012 to 2014 time period, really proving out that this could be done at scale. And there were some real challenges initially with the, the speed of these transactions, but that got kind of fixed. And then the payers and PBMs really started to come around the real-time benefit standard. And then in the last few years, and really this is the first year, um, they introduced a rule that all payers, you know, under CMS have to provide a real-time benefit as a as a data source uh, and integrate it with at least one EHR. Hmm. And so we're really seeing these mandates start to evolve. And you know, I think that's driving both, you know. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid to do this, as well as, you know, I think commercial is is seeing the benefits of this. But ultimately, you know, we look at it as saving money for the payer, the PBM, and the patient. Um, and that's a good thing, you know, especially for, for patients who are dealing with affordability. So we think directionally this will continue. And, and I think this is a very politically neutral thing to you know, talk about, right? It's a, yeah, it's very straightforward in terms of uh, this is valuable to, to pretty much everybody. And uh, everybody kind of agrees we should we should have an open, transparent way of looking at what the cost of healthcare is, especially before we pay for something. Yeah. Um, 
that like everything else we have in our, our life in terms of consumer goods and, and um, uh, retail. So, so I think, you know, everybody's supportive of this. It's had good momentum. It's great to see these mandates come, come to fruition. Uh, and now we can build on top of them, which is really exciting. And, and uh, a lot of interesting work being done in terms of what's next as we, as we look to 22, uh, 2022 and beyond. You know, one thing that, and this is maybe the jaded pharmacist to me, but what you're going to hear a lot of pharmacists say are, hey, prescribers can't even get directions right on a prescription, you know, whether it's something BID or TID or what have you. So what sort of reliability or what sort of like improvements are you seeing in prescribers who are using this tool? Are you seeing like leaps and bounds where their prior offs are going down or having more time with people? Or like what sort of like things are you seeing that is like a showing proof yeah. in this structure? Yeah, so we, we have some anecdotal data from our payer and PBM partners, and probably the best we've seen is about a six-to-one ROI back to oh, wow. the payer and the patient. So pretty significant. And when you know when a therapeutic alternative is, is sort of picked for a patient, that average savings is, is like $215. So pretty significant savings to patients when you know these alternatives are are picked. And you know, you're seeing sort of 20 to 30 minutes of savings per PA avoided um, in terms both on the payer side and the provider side. There's still a long way to go in terms of the rates. You know, we're still in the, the low single digits or, or double digits, I should say, not single digits, double digits change rates. But that's significant. You know, when you're talking, you're doing, you know, we do 4 million transactions a month. That, that's a lot um, yeah. when you think about it at that type of scale. So, you know, th there's still a lot of room for improvement, but we've definitely delivered on the ROI and the value to payers, PBMs, and ultimately patients uh, in terms of what they're getting. And for providers, right, you've got, you know, faster time to, to therapy, you're, you're being cost effective, your patients, you're not getting pharmacy callbacks, this is totally integrated in your workflow, so it's not like you're going off to another tool to do this. It's just helpful information along the path of prescribing. And, you know, we really believe we want to get to a place where we're really guiding the doctor, right? We're giving them a much smaller set of options, being sort of a clinical guidance, clinical and cost guidance tool for them around prescribing because it's so complex. You know, you're sitting in front of a lot of options just, just from a cost and convenience perspective for patients when, when you're making a prescription decision. And, and for the most part, in, until, you know, we brought our solutions to market, providers really had nothing to use as a barometer to even know if they were doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm happy that we've changed a lot of that and, you know, impact, I think last year we impacted 5 million patients. So that's, um, that's you know, over we're, half my state of Ohio. If you go by just pure population. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great to see that level of, of success and we'll probably do two to three times that this year. Wow. So, that's a, that's a hell of an increase. Yeah. The network's growing very, very fast now. I think we may have hit a tipping point in the market where, the mandates and just the need and the obviousness of this and the value, you know, we, we've kind of been able to show the ROI, show the value to the market. And now it's just about scaling it up and, and really getting this to every provider. We've, we've been lucky in that we've gotten about 200,000. But, you know, if you think about total prescribers in the U.S., we could argue maybe it's somewhere around a million, you know, if you include clinical pharmacists and some of the other mid-levels like the nurse practitioners. Yeah, exactly. Mid-levels and, and others that, that can prescribe. Yeah, you know, and one thing too that I just kind of dawned on me as we're talking here is, you know, every time a pharmacy submits a claim, there's a charge with it. It could be five cents, it could be a penny, but every time you submit that claim, it really adds up. And so, you know, if you're submitting even at a mid-level pharmacy, even a smaller pharmacy, four or 5,000 claims a month, 
that's a couple hundred bucks. Now multiply that by every single you know transaction. If you can cut those in half or a third or whatever, you're you know saving fifty to a hundred bucks a pharmacy. Then multiply by however many thousands of pharmacies we have in the U.S. That's a lot of cost savings right there. Never mind the time involved with that too, which is also more time than to counsel patients, to interact with them, and have more meaningful like interactions that can actually drive down healthcare costs. So really the time and then those very small, like, you know, carry the exponent cost are a huge savings with this as well on the pharmacy end. Is is that correct? Yeah. I mean, we're still making our way from the point of care, honestly, into pharmacies. I think that's the next big evolution for the market is to bring this data to the point to pharmacies. There's a whole host you're pointing to one of them is just, you know, essentially running these sort of trial transactions to understand the cost and benefit information for a patient. The, 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 there's a whole host of problems with that one, you gotta be really careful how much you leave these claims on the, um, you know, out there, you have to reverse them out. Right. Um, the second, the second problem is really the richness of the data. If you run a real time benefit transaction, you're getting therapeutic alternatives, you're getting other fulfillment options, you're getting cost in you know, PA and additional coverage information. So you're getting a much more richer transaction when you're running it, you know, at the pharmacy. And so we're, you know, we really want to get there in terms of moving from the point of care because we do see that value to pharmacists in pharmacies as a, as a, um, a potential market opportunity. We do have some of um, our hospital or large IDN partners that own their own pharmacies. They're starting to run those transactions now uh, to help them figure out, you know, patient issues around prescriptions or sometimes at discharge, you know, the meds to beds programs. Um, we're really starting to support pharmacists there. So there's a lot of opportunity ar- around that. And and again, this is where, you know, technology has just not served the market well, right? Why on earth are pharmacists running trial claims and spending money on this? This should just be straightforward information. And the payers and PBM should be supportive of this because it's, you know, rationalizing the cost and hopefully getting the patient on a drug they can afford. That, you know, that's cost effective for the payer. So, so all those things kind of make sense as we look, look forward and where else in the pharmaceutical value chain we can bring this data. Ultimately, we even want to get beyond the pharmacy. And there's some work being done, for instance, within the Karen Alliance around patient use cases for this data, which are very exciting. So, so you imagine having this information on your mobile phone, for instance, uh, where you could really explore your benefit and tie it into other third-party apps. You know, maybe you have a medication adherence app or a pill reminder right. app and, and you could you could make this information available as part of that yeah you know as a pharmacist when you submit a claim to an insurance and you get prior authorization and it doesn't give you an option you're like well that's great you fax the doctor then they're like they call you back or they fax you back and they're asking you what is covered and you're like i don't know guess because they didn't tell me either so then we're just playing this stab in the dark game until we get something meanwhile it's just going back and forth back and forth and the patient one is interesting because i feel like a lot of the discount cards have tried doing that but i've seen numerous times where and i'll just use them as an example good rx says it's $20 at this pharmacy then that you go in you bill it and then it's like well it's 24.95 like it's close but it wasn't exactly right is this something where you've seen that we're aiming at better than that since they're just sometimes just a ballpark and sometimes they're not even close, but sometimes those discount cards are just a ballpark. You're getting true data that's better than that, right? Well, you know, remember, let's separate discount cards, which are just a cash pay um, option. This is saying on your plan with your insurance company, what is, what at, what's going to be the cost for you at that pharmacy that specific day, including deductible and accumulators and all the and copay and coinsurance, you know, th- yeah. these are 
you know, much more sophisticated transactions. Right. That's what we really want to work towards in terms of consumer-based use cases of this and really what the industry needs. Now, there's a whole host of inherent challenges with scaling that up that are very different than the point of care use cases. You know, I think one of the simple things to just as an example is eligibility. Mm-hmm. We don't know. A consumer comes onto an app and, you know, we, we've got to sort out where, what, what plan they're on, you know, what's their group and BIN and PCN. There's all these sort of technical things we have to get from them to enable that. And, you know, that's a bit cumbersome and hard to understand versus at the point of care where we, you know, the, they have the patient record open and we have eligibility data there with, alongside that um, encounter and we can leverage that to do pricing. So, you know, the point of care is very different than trying to achieve success with a consumer, especially in a third party app environment, let's say. So there's going to have to be some really hard work in kind of solving some of these issues. Um, And, you know, there's discussions around bridging the point of care to the, you know, all the way out to the patient as a way of kind of, you know, moving them down that continuum. But ultimately, we do have to get into these more challenging um, technical issues if we're going to solve transparency for consumers. Yeah, no, that that's definitely something we need to bridge, especially communication and healthcare in general is a huge, a huge hurdle. Um, what do you see as the biggest change coming to communications between pharmacies, insurers and like the other providers who prescribe? Yeah, I mean, I think we're finally getting to data liquidity. I sit here and I start to see some of the interoperability rules coming in terms of patient access to data. I think we're finally getting there in terms of installation, if you want to call it that, of these core technologies, whether it's real-time benefit, whether it's fire, whether it's other technological standards um, to sort of, with the right authority, move the, the data around. I, I, you know, one of my favorite books is Technical uh, Technological Revolutions, which really talks about sort of these cycles of how technology came to, to markets. And, and what you see is you have to have these big phases of installation where there's a lot of sort of... Um, you know, bubbles and bursts and uh, markets kind of fighting their way to get installation of all these core technology done. And then there's massive scaling and deployment of those technologies. You can think about this in the internet 1.0, right? We had to finally get to sort of browsers and HTML and CSS (laughs) and all this core technology before we had this explosion of the internet and kind of the web web 1.0, right? We, We could go on and explore the web and a a lot more than being in a user group, for instance. And I think that's the same thing here where I think we're getting to maybe some, you know, much larger installations. I mean, we've obviously seen this with real-time benefit. We can do pricing now for 150 million Americans. I mean, that's scale. And so these technologies have really reached installation and deployment. Um, And I think we're starting to see this also in, you know, areas of interoperability and some of the CMS mandates are accelerating that. And I think, you know, really thinking about a world where this data can be easily exchanged, especially patient data between the point of care, between pharmacies, between payers and PBMs, that's pretty exciting because that's going to open up a whole litany of things that we could never really do before. Uh, with patients along the continuum of care. So so that's what I think is really exciting right now. And and I'm really looking forward to over this ne- next day, uh, decade. Yeah. And as a, on the pharmacist end of it, man, I, any sort of anything that brings transparency or makes my job easier is always, always good because we have enough challenges with just trying to get people to take their medication, let alone even pick it up, which is 
one of the issues this is helping solve. So, hey, I can't let you go from the podcast, though, without asking you two questions who, that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. And your perspective might be a little different on this since, you know, you're not like a pharmacist and you're not working in a sort of traditional setting here. If you could change one thing in pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, I think we've, you know, if, if I could, you know, change one thing, I think that really opening around eligibility and making eligibility a mandate alongside real-time benefit, we see endless numbers of use cases where real-time benefit would be incredibly helpful, but we don't have a way to do eligibility in pharmacy. And I think that should be as open as a standard as real-time pharmacy benefit and really tied to it. It should be part of the standard. And that, that would, that, the, the litany from consumer use cases to pharmacies to, you know, you just go every use case could be enabled around this. And there's been a lot of information blocking around eligibility and PBMs have gotten lazy about managing it and keeping it up to date. But if it was mandated and controlled and accessible, right, that would just totally change the opportunities in the market to innovate around pharmacy that would be pretty exciting in my mind. So that would be be my hope there. Gotcha. Yeah, that does make sense that you just want to be able to confirm all that so you can have the data to use it and then make the proper choices that would help everybody in the long run and save time. So I can definitely see that. If you could change or add a law in pharmacy, and again, this might be a little different just what you're working what with what you work with, what would it be and why? Gosh, you know, I there's a part of me, like this is maybe a little bit pie in the sky, but, you know, there's a part of me that really wishes that we got to script portability in the U.S. You know, we have mandates around e-prescribing, but I think if, if we just, in terms of changing laws, you know, I think we need to have mandates around just as patients own their data, right, and we've seen this under the information blocking rules and patient access to data under under the 21st Century Cures Act. I think there's a really interesting opportunity to really put mandates around you own your prescription. And that should be an electronic portable format that you can move around. And I think if we can enable consumers with that level of control, it would be amazing. I'm curious right. as how that works, but I get what you're saying because there is a lot of issues with that. And I know as an example in Ohio, you now are able to transfer C2s electronically, but it's only if your system in the pharmacy allows for it. And then they are moving to the way of like kind of mandating or forcing the you know e-prescribing all around. Like I think New York has done it for everything now. I could be wrong on that a little bit, but I, at least some of the states are moving that way. But it does make a huge issue to try and transfer it because, you know, can you really transfer it? Is there a system up to code? Like, what's the standard? So is that kind of what you're getting at there? Yeah, there's just a lot of these complexities. And ultimately, the script kind of doesn't have an owner, if you know what I mean. (laughs) It it just is. I mean, it ultimately is for the patient. But this idea of who has the authority to move it and why. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we really... If I'm a patient and I have a script, I should be the one to own it and control it and move it to where I want. And, you know, if you think about patient has should should almost have it like a shopping experience. Right. Of like, I want to just look around and see where I want to send my script. I think that would be an incredible evolution of where we are today, where a script kind of ends up in a pharmacy and to move it. It's a big challenge to your point. There's still a lot of friction, just pharmacy to pharmacy in terms of moving that. Um, and it's a little bit of a far out idea. I mean, I, I think this will take years to develop 
there's some company you know countries in Europe that that are are starting to make some progress towards that but i think it's really an interesting uh future uh for us in farm you know around pharmacy and prescription drugs it, and again really pigging backing off this whole idea that consumers should have you know access to their data and access to things like their scripts and be able to to sort of have some level of ownership over those things yeah, you know, it almost kind of gets to why you, you almost need some sort of like central repository for just health information in general because if you switch doctors, obviously you have to go through all this rigmarole again. They have to switch records over and it's like, you know, you can go online and look up anything you want about anybody practically, but you trying to get health information to the right people is literally like trying to rebuild like every bit of architecture throughout the healthcare system just to be able to get that information over there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the fact that we live in a world where if you go to a new provider, it's just easier for them to run all the tests <laughs> over again, yeah. uh, opposed to getting your record transferred over to them. That, to me, is just the absolute failure of the system um, and the technology under underneath uh, those systems that, that's running there. That That should not be a challenge. You know, if you think about how data moves around on the internet and how how much data liquidity we have in other parts of our lives it's really too too it's it's sad when i hear stories of that you know and then the patient getting rebuilt essentially for all those things that they already just they just had done yeah um, we've really got to move away from that and and create liquidity uh and easy portability i have been seeing some of this you know the new standards where patients can sort of you know have their record on their phone and, and at least show it to their doctor. They might not be able to get it to them, but they can say, here, you know, here's my information. I have it at least on my phone. So I, I think we're in the early, you know, again, you know, phases of really getting there. We're, we continue to be really excited about where can this data go? How can it help better, you know, decision making by providers and ultimately get to patients in the right ways so they can be on the most cost effective treatments um, that they can ultimately afford. Yeah, no, I think that that's huge. And with healthcare, the, again, the more transparency we have, the more we can probably drive costs down and decrease the burden of how much we're spending on it while also increasing efficiency at the same time. So I am all yep. for that. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out or learn more about RX Review or, or you in general? Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn. Just Carm, look up Carm Huntress on, on LinkedIn and you can find find out me there. My my Twitter handle uh, is Carm Huntress, at Carm Huntress. And you can DM me anytime if you've got questions for me. Um, and those are probably the two best ways uh, to, to get a hold of me. Okay, great. I will put those in the show notes for listeners and I'll also put the website for RX Review on there. So if you want to learn more about it. But, uh, you know, thanks for coming on the podcast, Carm. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks. I, I learned a lot too because this is more of the, uh, I like to call it the nerdy side of pharmacy as if pharmacy wasn't ner <laughs> nerdy enough already. So I appreciate it. Um, and listeners, if you can, go check it out. But as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.